Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent Magazine, with your host, Miriam Connor. This is Miriam, and welcome to Apparently Speaking. On this episode, I'll be talking with Grown and Flown co-founder, Mary Dell Harrington. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Lisa Heffernan and Mary Dell Harrington, the co-founders of Grown and Flown, are writers, moms, and friends. They created Grown and Flown when each of their youngest kids were in high school and their oldest kids were in college. It's become the number one site for parents with teens and college students, reaching millions of parents every month. In their past incarnations, Mary Dell worked in television and media, and Lisa had a career that included Wall Street, politics, and writing. They both live with their husbands in the New York area where they raise their families. So welcome, Mary Dell. Hey, Miriam. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. So Grown and Flown, um, I have the book. I read the book. And I'm, you're kind of, it's more than just the book. It's interesting. So it's just like a whole big um, empire, for, so to speak, right? Um, <laughs> yes, an empire, galactic Yeah, empire. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So how did you get started? I know I, I read a little bit about that, but maybe just tell us a little bit how Grown and Flown came to be. I'd love to. Um, so Lisa and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, her family came to the school where my kids were um, already attending when our youngest were in third grade, and now those youngest graduated from college. So um, that tells you how long we've known each other and been friends. We uh, lamented the fact that we were reading and aware of all these great parenting blogs for parents of little children, but there really wasn't anything being written on a consistent basis for parents who had kids in high school. So at the time when our oldest uh, three boys had already left for college, or our oldest two had left for college, our youngest were still in high school, and we thought, well, why don't we just, why don't we just start writing ourselves? Lisa had um, already published three books. She has beautiful writing skills. My background is in the media. But we really didn't know anything about writing a blog. It was it was it was new territory for us and a, and kind of a fun challenge. So we started, and at the time, you know, we we wrote about our five data points, as we like to call them, realizing uh, soon that we really didn't have that many interesting stories to tell about our lives compared to what we could do if we opened up our pages to other writers. So now we have more than five hundred and fifty writers who are um, both experts, people who are, you know, teaching high schools and colleges, doctors, therapists, as well as just wonderful parenting writers. So, by the way, we're always looking for new writers in case any of your um, listeners have um, some great stories or they're experts and they'd like to write for us. We, we pay all of our writers and we are always thrilled to find new voices. All right, but great. we also then, a few years after starting, you know, broadening our site to include other people, we built this Facebook group. Um, I don't know, Miriam, if you're in it or not. I am, actually, yes. I had to get, you oh, know, I'm approval. So I had to do, like, a retina scan and all that kind of stuff, but I am <laughs> in it. So <laughs> thank you for letting That's me join. Great. Oh, yes. Well, that is the other really interesting thing. So Grown Upon is both the site and it's this big, engaged Facebook community of over 140,000 members and growing by many every day. And then we have the book now. 
Yeah, so you, that's what I was going to ask you about. So you kind of cover that. So you have the book, you have the Facebook um, page, you have your website, and people can, you know, take a look at that. And and there's so much information. And I do like that, you know, you two obviously contribute a ton to it, but you have so many other writers, like you said, and some are experts and some are other parents. And so everybody kind of weighs in and on the Facebook. You know, I was you know, looking around in there and a lot of people will just, you know, ask a question. Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Or how do you think of this? What do you guys think? And so many people will will weigh in and give opinions. And it's really um, just, you know, or, organic conversation and with some good advice. And then you always have that expert. You always have the experts available as well. So it's really a, really a cool thing and a really a, a needed thing for that age group, like you said. So what are some of the changes you know, since you've been doing this, you've been doing this a long time. What are kind of the main changes maybe you've seen in parenting? Maybe it's within the kids or the how people are parenting. What are some of the big kind of shifts you've seen since you started this? Well, a, a couple of things. When Lisa and I first started, we had our children in the 90s. And we, once the turn of the century occurred, we realized that parents were not digital natives themselves, but they were digital parenting natives. Um, parents who had uh, kids who are now just entering high school or in high school have always been um, looking for content online. Um, in our generation of women, we asked our sisters or our moms or actually books, if you can believe that. We were, mm. You know, we would we would read the Ferber book on how, how weird. to take yeah. the safety <laughs> night. Yeah, quaint, right? <laughs> and now uh, people would just go to the Internet because, of course, that's what we do for everything. And so we found this different generation of moms, moms who are always expecting to see what they find, what they needed online. And so and that's fast, been a right? Change. You can find it real quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speed change. Um, the other thing, and this is something that we've um, we've really discovered as we've been going around the country talking to parents this fall. Our book came out September second, and we've been um, Lisa and I have been speaking together, and we've also been speaking separately. So we've covered, we've tried to cover a lot of territory, and we've done many, many podcasts um, like we are today. And we have found more and more young parents, young moms who are attending our talks. These are, and this should not be surprising at all, because what what is the number one thing that we want to do as moms? We want to be prepared, right? We want to know what it is we need to know before we get there so that we are not, we can help our support our children. So we've been meeting as many middle school moms as we have parents who are, you know, have kids in high school and college because they want to know what they need to know before their kids actually enter high school. And they found being part of the community, um, you know, reading the book, uh, whatever local resources they have, they really are trying to reach out and connect because there is one thing that I think is very perilous about parenting in this age. It's to try and tough it out yourself. It is a very uh, consequential, the most consequential stage of parenting, and it can be a very lonely stage of parenting, too. So to try and do it just using your own instinct can be very difficult, um, if, if not impossible. Yeah, so, um, I agree. Those I just... are two things that have been really interesting. That's good. Yeah, I think that's smart. No, no, I think that's great that, like you said, some younger moms coming because they realize, hey, maybe we're getting into some tougher and unknown territory, so not to go it alone because, and you know, I think back to, or now, of my friends as you were talking, you know, my mom friends, as everybody, you know, calls it, and yeah, I mean, just to just to have some people to bounce things off of, opinions, just to feel like, oh yeah, that happened to me too, or we're going through that, or, you know, I've had other, other moms say, you know, kind of things to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, 
same thing, and they're like, really? Oh, good. That makes yeah. me feel so much yeah. better. Like, oh, good. Know. You know? <laughs> you feel like you're the only one who is experiencing these things. The thing that gets more tricky as your kids get older is that their privacy is paramount, and you don't their stories and their challenges and struggles are not really your story to tell. Plus, who are you going to sit around and casually talk about your your son's DUI or the fact that your freshman in college is so unhappy that they're going to drop out or they're threatening to drop out? You know, these are things that are so intensely private, and sometimes you don't know anyone in your real life who you think has ever gone through one of these things before. So it's hard to know where to find support and where to get insight. One thing that we do in our group that's really, I think, unique, and we've done this since we started the group four years ago, is we will ask questions on behalf of parents and we'll ask them anonymously so that we protect their privacy. They write to us dozens every day with problems with their teens and their college students, and they're desperate for help and advice. Um, you know, whether or not their child or their teen is struggling socially or academically, if they've got substance abuse, if they are um, coming out maybe to them and they, they've never, they don't know what to do and how to support their child or they're afraid that maybe their spouse isn't going to be supportive, um, you name it, they've asked it. And I think it is a source of, of comfort to parents who are reading questions to realize that, yes, I had that experience with my with my teen and we got through it and this is how we got through it and they may weigh in, we sometimes have thousands of responses to these questions. And it is um, often the case that 50% of the people will come down on one side and another 50% <laughs> will course. have a different idea. <laughs> but it can be the source of creative parenting because it makes you think of, of um, how to help your children in a way that maybe it never dawned on you. Right, so, think of things um, that you hadn't thought of. Like, oh, yeah, that's I'll try that, I'll try that. And and since every kid and every person is different, you you have to do things, you know, you can't do it the same as maybe even as your other your other child or something. So I think just to get different ideas, you know, bounce off, you can, you don't, you know, you can take it or leave it, the advice, but um, they're always, they're always good things to learn, you know, from others. And so I, I did notice that on the Facebook, the anonymous, and I like that because, you know, I'm sure that a lot of kids, they don't want, <laughs> may, you don't want everything out there that they're, like you said, it's private and it's their story to tell and you don't want to do that to them. You have to be careful. And I and I even my, with myself, you know, I'll use my kids a lot of times as example on, on the shows and I'm very, there's nothing, you know, major anyway. But, you know, I, I do try to be careful of things, even like that I don't embarrass them or, you know, and they, they joke like, oh, mom, of course you said that about me again. But I do try to be careful that it's some, it's just stuff, silly stuff that they wouldn't mind. Or I ask them sometimes, hey, we're, I'm going to talk to this person. Do you mind if I share this or that. And, you know, and I do respect their privacy if they say no, no problem. Or like, oh, I don't really want you to, even if it's, even if I think it's no big deal, if they do, then I'm like, that's fine. I won't. It's it's totally fine. I can, you know, say something else. So I like that, that you mentioned that too, that it just don't put all of their business out there and you can do it even the way you've set it up in a way where you don't have to do that. So I like that. We're going to take a quick break um, uh, from our sponsor and then we'll come back and we'll continue talking about this. I want to touch on some of the the, um, sections from the book when we get back. So we'll be right back. 
Hey, this is Miriam from Apparently Speaking. Join the Mazda family like I did at Montrose Mazda Kent. You'll love the selection of new and used cars and lease options. We are on our third car from Kent Mazda. We keep going back because of the ease of purchase, and it has been by far the best deal we could find each time. Montrose Mazda Kent, they go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Okay, we are back talking with Mary Dell Harrington, uh, co-founder of Grown and Flown. And, you know, you just shared a lot with us about the book, about your site, your website, your Facebook page, your group. There's so much going on and so many um, parents are involved in this and it just keeps growing and growing and just the the community that you're building. It's pretty cool. So in the book, I just want to talk about there's so many really, really good sections in the book. But um, we won't have time to Thank touch. You. Uh, you're welcome. We won't have time to touch all of them, but I wanted mm-hmm. to on some. And I like in the book too that you you also bring in again. There are sections there um, from parents, and then you also have some some experts in different fields weigh in in the book also. So I like that too. You have that mix. One of the things um, in the book in um, family life in the family life section signs you may be overparenting your teen. I think that's pretty interesting. What are let's talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, I think it's something we all struggle with as uh, parents of teens. We, we have a hard time knowing how much to lean in and how much to just let them go. But there are some red flags, and I think it does help uh, to hear from this from, from the point of view of a teacher. So we, one of our favorite high school teachers is a woman named Laurie Stratton, who's, who's taught for decades um, AP history. She's also the mother of three. So she, she can see this parenting dilemma from the point of view of a parent herself and the point of view of of a teacher. So she has a couple of tips for people that I think are really helpful. She says, you you contact your students, teachers, or professors because you don't like a grade. You want to ask for clarification on assignment. You want to ask for an absence to be excused. You want to ask for an extension. You get the you get the idea. <laughs> yep. By the time our teen, by the time our teens are in high school, they should be the ones taking the lead with their teachers. Um, parents are really, you know, we may have had those, we did, of course, have those really close relationships with our students' homeroom teacher in elementary school, mm-hmm. but it is time to pass the baton to our, to our teenagers and let them be the ones to manage that relationship with their teachers. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I totally agree with that. And I would even say when my kids were, you know, even junior high, even middle school, I start saying, you know, you contact the teacher, you ask the teacher. And then obviously if it's something where there's miscommunication or there's, you know, sometimes you do need to step in or get involved or say like, hey, maybe they're not communicating this well with you. Here's what's going on. But I always try to get them. You talk to the coach first, your teacher, whoever it is, um, and at least get that conversation going. That's a great tip, and I think that a lot of a lot of teenagers and preteens are intimidated about having a relationship or having mm-hmm. a, heaven forbid a phone conversation. Oh, with somebody. never! <laughs> but um, you know, they they may need some coaching and some support. It's one thing to strategize with them and brainstorm about ideas or how they could structure an email, but um, and in fact, that's those are wonderful teaching moments. I think when mm-hmm. we can say, you know, adult to adult, you respect you respect the fact that they they're taking this lead. But if if it's new territory territory for them, we have a role as parents to mentor our our children and mentor our teens. Um, and how they relate to other adults is a big area that we can actually support them in and help them get comfortable with that before they go off to college, where it's a hundred percent on them with their professors. 
No, I was going to say, but some parents, I have heard horror stories, I would call them, where they are contacting, actually, college professors. And it's like, I know, wow. I know. That's, that's, a big, that's a big no. Yeah, that's, that's a big, big red no. flag. <laughs> so what right. else? What it other is. signs? Yeah, um, what were some other ones? And another thing she talks about, in, and you see this a lot in college admissions, where, where people, parents will say, well, these are the schools we are applying to. Oh, and, you know, we. I got like, it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not really the we, but it's the my student or my teen or my kid is applying to. But I think it's so hard for parents to separate themselves from the college admissions process because they have so much emotional investment and so much financial investment that it's it's a it's a it's an understandable gaffe, but it's, they need to they need to take a step back and realize that it's not that they're not the ones applying to college and it is <laughs> their child instead. Right. And where where they want to go may not be where you went or where you want them to go. It may be, but you know, that may be that may or may not be the best place for them. So it's totally different. You can't even things are so different when all of us applied to college that it it's like night and day. You can't even say you can't even draw analogies because those those just don't hold up yeah. anymore. Thank goodness, because I'd never um, get in now. But um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you and me both. You and me both. But a couple other quick things that she says: you read their emails, check their assignment grades on a regular basis, and I think there's a dilemma there because of the parent portals that right, are um, right. that make it just all too easy for parents to become overly invested in their kids' responsibilities and assignments. And, and we, we actually have, you know, a wonderful essay in the, uh, in the book on the perils of the parent portal that we, <laughs> that we hope people read. But you call to wake them up for class. I know that's a big question that we have in our group where parents are petrified. They're asking, what is the best alarm clock I can get my soon-to-be college freshman? Because I wake him up every day and I'm afraid Unless it's the boys that I'm saying. It could be a girl equally well. Yeah. I wake her up every morning, and I'm afraid that she's going to sleep through class. How can I um, manage this? Well, so, she might, but, I mean, they'll figure it out, you know? <laughs> they do figure yeah. it out. They absolutely do. But those are those are some of just the, you know, two or three things that yeah. she says are red flags for those parents. Those are good. Um, those yes. are good. And I know, like, with the parent portal you mentioned, I think that can just be used, should be just used as a tool. You know, check in now and then, right. um, kind of, and depending on your student, you may never need to check it. You may need to just give them the tools. When my son, he's in seventh grade now, last year going into sixth grade was a big adjustment for him. He always did, he always does yes. well, and he's kind of one of those lucky kids that he can look at something for five minutes and do great, you know, and his sister's like, you got to be kidding. You know, I'm like, I've been like, studying this all night. <laughs> But um, and so that's that's great. But it was the organizational skills when he went to sixth grade because that was when he started switching classes, had all different teachers, you know, different organizations, and he kind of was like, oh, forgetting stuff every day and not knowing what was going on and all that. So we were checking in with him. I was checking in with him quite a bit then because I'm trying to teach him. Okay, here's something you need to have your agenda. You need to write it down. Blah blah. You know, and checking in. And then at the beginning of seventh grade this year. I kind of sat down with him, you know, the first week of school, like, okay, let's talk about how you're going to be. And I could tell just by his face, and I said, are you wanting to just try this on your own this year? And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, okay, you know what? I think that's a great idea because I'm thinking junior high is the time too where you can, you know, that's when you should learn and you can mess up. It doesn't count for anything, you know. So I said, go ahead and try it. And then if there's a problem, then we'll have to talk and maybe re-strategize what another option will be. 
And you know what? He's right. doing just perfectly fine. I haven't looked at his grade thing. You know, just when his, just when the report cards come, I haven't looked at it. I'll right. just say to him, do you have homework? Get your homework done. I don't look at what the homework is. I mean, I'll just kind of mention to him, just remember, you know, the devil's in the details. So just check, make sure you check exactly, you know, if there's a rubric, you need to look through the rubric and compare it with yours. But he's doing all that now. Um, and I think right. it was just because we gave him that, you know, let him do that himself. That's great. That's a, that's that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, having that trust in the relationship with your team and letting them know that, listen, it's their deal. If, if they're, if they're performing within whatever, you know, you and your team think are the acceptable academic performance, you know, metrics, then, then you don't have to be all over um, that portal and, and get that, that uh, intrusive. You mentioned something about time management, and that is we can't emphasize enough how important those skills are and also things that parents could be great mentoring their children with because as they go off to college, it's often not the academic um, responsibilities that trip them up. It's the time management responsibilities. They go from a highly structured day, Monday through Friday, where every moment of their day is spoken for. And then they get to college where they have classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or maybe Tuesday night, or they have all this free time. And if they don't sort of plan ahead with some of their um, long-term projects and sort of map them out to smaller things, they can really get in trouble. So we, uh, you know, this is one of the benefits of starting this Facebook group and being able to observe the kind of struggles that parents are talking about because time and time again, we see that it is these time management things. And that's such an important thing for parents to be very deliberate about. You, you know, we kind of assume that our kids often just pick these things up through osmosis. <laughs> but to, to say to your team, for instance, you know, um, I know our family's going on vacation uh, the first week of June when you're out of school. Unfortunately, I have a big project due June 15th, so I'm going to really try and get X, Y, and Z done before we go so that when I get back, I don't have to do the whole thing. Sometimes just cluing them in on your adult management, you know, uh, time management skills can be enlightening to them. And and we should be more vocal about how we live our own lives, (laughs) the positive ways we live our lives. I was going to say about some things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're like, you procrastinate uh, um, like crazy. I know. I know. Well, sharing sharing yeah, that with them too, and, and letting them know that you know you've got you've got these tendencies, the mm-hmm. things they do about putting work off that you know you should do. But here's how you manage that can right. can really be helpful. And doing all of this before they go to college is so important. And it's it's sad, really, because it seems like so many teens are dealing with stress and anxiety, and way more so than I can ever remember. You know, when I was a teenager. Um, I don't really, and, and maybe just it wasn't talked, you know, wasn't talked about like it is now. But um, it seems like that's just such a huge thing now with our teens. So, what do you guys? Let's talk about that a little bit. I know you have some constructive ways sure. to help them. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, um, I mean, one of the things in the book that we were so have been so excited about is we we have gotten to know and interview any number of wonderful authors. Um, and one of the ones who talks about stress in particular is Dr. Alan Schlechter of NYU. Um, he teaches, he co-teaches the most popular elective at NYU, which is called The Science of Happiness. And he is co-author of a book called You Thrive, How to Succeed in College and Life. 
he argues two things about stress that I think are really important and speaks to your point of why it's such a common topic of conversation. We've communicated as adults the, um, the message that all stress is bad, and that's actually not the case. If you think about how you, how you stress your mind and how you stress your body to accomplish things, that stress is necessary to grow. Um, Lisa tells a story about her son running a marathon and how he had to stress his body to be able to run for 26 miles. If he hadn't endured that sort of training stress, he would not have accomplished that goal. So I think helping our kids sort of reframe the way they see stress so that when they're feeling animated or excited or they have butterflies about going up on stage and giving a, giving a talk or a big sports competition or taking an, you know, an important midterm or they're in, you know, they're going to be in, for kids who are in high school right now, an AP exams, they're going to be taking those consequential AP tests in May, but helping them understand that a degree of stress is really necessary for them to accomplish more is really important. But the companion piece to that is that they have to learn to get comfortable with what the optimal stress is for them. And, you know, too little stress, we don't grow and learn, but too much stress, we feel overwhelmed. So our, our role as parents is not to help them eliminate stress in their lives, but to help them reframe uh, stress so that they're not fearful of it 24-7. Um, I think that's, a, that's something that's often lost in translation. We kind of understand that as parents subjectively, but it's, it's important to talk about this with our kids. Um, you know, it's important for them to find that equilibrium of what's too much and too little. I'm really glad you said all that because, um, you know, I do think that it's it's important. And I think stress is and anxiety is real, you know, for many people. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but I do think that a lot of and I've heard a lot of kids, you know, teens just say it, um, you know, oh, I, I have, oh, I just have such anxiety over this. I have social anxiety or I'm so anxiety. I have test anxiety. I have this anxiety. And it's like, well, I don't really know if you have, you know, anxiety or like, like they're thinking like I have this, you know, this big thing. It's like, like you said, no, that's normal to feel a little bit of butterflies or feel a little nervous before you're doing these things. And, that, and that's totally normal. Or, oh, I, I can't, I can't go into this party. I have social anxiety. I don't know anyone. Well, I don't know if you have social anxiety, but it's normal to feel a little nervous when you're going into a social situation and you don't know anyone, but once you do it, you know, you'll, you'll feel fine and you talk to people and that's, and that's perfectly normal. But I think that a lot of teens don't think that that's, you know, quote unquote normal. And they just kind of, they've labeled, labeled themselves with this big thing that they probably don't really have many of them. Well, certainly, and would never want to diminish no. the, um, you know, the mental health challenges that, that people feel that are, that are absolutely, you know, For sure. real and legitimate and, and, and serious. And everywhere we go and talking to people, we ask parents what the hardest thing is that they are facing right now. And um, we have big whiteboards that we put up and we have, you know, that they think their children are facing. We have um, things like academics, family life. Um, and we, we include mental health and happiness, and that is always the number one thing that, that parents are the most concerned about mm. for their kids' um, well-being. And I, and I think the other thing that's, that's different about society now and about life is that the, um, th- 
families are feeling, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to differentiate your work life for, for adults. Think about it. We have a hard time differentiating our work life and time with our family life and time. Uh, in the age of uh, digital communication, they're all kind of mushed in together, and it's very hard to find a barrier so that we, you know, we struggle with, with letting work seep into our lives. I certainly know that I do. And my husband calls me out on it quite often. <laughs> but with our kids, it's the same thing. When we were in high school, we could go home and we had a barrier, an emotional barrier between our school life and our family life and personal life, you know. But now that's not the case. Uh, the Internet follows us everywhere and it follows them. They're often Snapchatting with their friends all day and all night. They're checking their Instagram pages to see you know, how that latest post looks and if it's gotten any like the, the, the academic portal, it's sort of life comes at them all the time. And so our, our role as parents, I think, is to help create a buffer and help them find buffers between what is, um, what is too much stress and too much information and too much internet uh, and, you know, the larger world and what they can do to just close that out for a little bit. So having our homes be a refuge for them is really important. And we talk about it in the book. We give a bunch of tips as to how, how exactly you do that. <laughs> that um, we, we encourage people to try them all, you know, because sometimes things uh, will be will click with our kids and, and sometimes they, will, they, they aren't necessarily that effective. But, you know, helping them get exercise and sleep are so key, for instance. And those are sometimes the first things that go. If your kid is on a team, they're going to have exercise built into their day because of practice. But if they're not, that's an easy thing to slide. Sleep is huge. And with kids who are, have these, you know, highly scheduled days and they go from school to sports practice to maybe a play practice to homework to home, they, 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 we will often find that they're staying up later than we are. And we don't know how much sleep they're really getting. But those are things that are super, super important that parents really need to coach their kids to, to make the time and find the time for that. Really important. I always tell my kids, everything's worse when you're tired. You know, when you're overly tired, oh, that's so when, true. yeah, you know, like that's when everything, you know, gets blown out of proportion and you can't really, you know, you don't maybe see things as clearly as you need to. And, and I tell my kids, same with me, same with adults, you know, so you have to get that sleep. And like you said, the exercise and um, eating right and take care of yourself because then everything else just can kind of spiral if you don't. True. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So I love it. And also in the book, you know, you have a whole section on health and love and academics. Then you go to, you know, like college admissions, letting go, separating and letting go. I can't, I, I have a junior, so I can't read that section because I would be upset. Um, you know, just, and then you have a lot of, um, yeah, yeah. You have a lot of really practical things too um, going on, you know, with a college move in and all these kind of things you can find on your website. You know, I like it. It's like things you need for your dorm, things you don't need, all these kind of things too that are just kind of like practical practical, things like that. Let's talk about, just kind of jump a little bit um, to college life. I know there's a section, you know, myths of college life and some things like that. What, what are kind of things, um, do you guys talk about that in the book? Well, I think that, um, yeah, we have a whole, you know, the, the book is, it, it's been an interesting project uh, working on the book and going out and talking to parents about the book because while, uh, 
it is very, um, the book is great for parents who have kids who are entering high school. There's also quite a bit of content for parents who are exactly like you, Miriam, who have juniors in high school who are going through the test process right now, going to, beginning to do the applications or thinking about, you know, visiting schools and applications because it is such a huge, um, as I mentioned before, investment in time and, um, and expense that it is, you know, parents are, uh, have a, have a, have a big involvement in, in the process. It's also a huge emotional time, um, because, you know, all of a sudden that baby that you brought home 17, 18 years ago is going to be the baby that you leave off at the freshman dorm. And there's, it, it is, it is a moment you will never forget. And it's a moment that they won't forget either. But we tapped into the expertise of a doctor, Dr. Sharon Jacques, who suggests that if we can help our freshmen understand, our soon-to-be freshmen, understand that there are a lot of myths about college that they should be aware of, that it will help them um, get through that tough fall of freshman year. Lisa Sun had a great phrase. He said, college is the best three and a half years of your life because almost everybody is homesick in the fall. Almost everybody has uh, trouble adjusting, you know, and you can imagine they've gone from a place in their family and their lives and their dogs and all their mm-hmm. friends where they know and love everybody. And then they come to this new environment where they may not know a soul when they're living with a stranger in a tiny little room. So it's understandable that they might think that everybody else is managing and they're not. And so that's one of the first myths that she talks about, that everybody is thrilled to be starting college. Um, <laughs> Another, which, you know, we know as parents that, that, and the research bears out that that's not really the case, you know, because of um, all the struggles that I've mentioned before about homesickness and adjustment mm-hmm. and academic adjustment. The other myth she talks about is that everybody parties at college so that that's what I should be doing or I'll, I'll feel like I'm an outcast. I think some kids go off to school thinking that perfectly normal to binge drink all the time. It's perfectly normal to, you know, that they're expected to be in a hookup culture. And actually the research indicates that neither of those are the case. And to be able to sit down with your student, you know, your teen before they go off to school and talk about how it's really not the case that people are behaving in a way that they may have seen, you know, in a TV show mm-hmm. or movie or, you know, that they, that they, and that they think that they're getting that impression from seeing the Instagram post of some of the older kids. Another myth is that everybody adjusts easily to college. Um, I think that's just, you know, uh, for whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it really is a, um, it's a challenge. And, parent, and parents can help their kids begin to understand that, you know, when they go off to school, everybody, all the freshmen are feeling insecure. And those first sort of months or six weeks of, of the beginning of the year, it's a great time to go out, you know, just be like out there and look for friends because everybody's, everybody's working on making friends. Um, friends abound almost immediately on campus. You know, that's another thing that she says is absolutely false, that many kids take a full year or two to find good friends. They can make acquaintances early on, but to actually, you know, make a good friend requires time and shared experiences. And you don't have that when you go off to school by, mm-hmm. by, by definition. You're a brand-new freshman. Most kids don't get homesick. Um, that's actually not the case. There are in, any number of studies that actually 
record these and, and, and survey students, and it's like two-thirds of all college freshmen get homesick. It's a really big number. Um, another one she says is um, her, her last one in this, in this chapter is, if I don't pick a major ASAP, my future career is in jeopardy. Um, I think most colleges ask students to pick a major by the time they're sophomores, and they realize that, that um, you know, kids should take a smattering of courses in different subjects and get to know the departments at their schools and what the requirements are for graduation before they're really committed to a major. So um, I, I know you, uh, you know, although some schools require you, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, and I know there you are required to apply to a certain school, whether it's engineering, communications, liberal arts, you can apply as an undecided, and that's, that's fine, too. But um, some schools make it easier or harder to change majors, but it's certainly not the case that your, that your academic um, career and your future um, employment prospects are going to be diminished if you don't know your major going into college. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because that's even my daughter one day, you know, she's like, I, you know, kind of getting stressed. I don't know what I want to do. I don't And I'm like, that's that's normal. That's fine. It's OK. You have plenty of time. It there are totally things. Okay. Yeah, you don't there are plenty of things you don't even know about yet. So it's OK. But, you know, they get this. They put this stress and pressure on themselves. And um, I really I love all those myths. And I think, you know, just with anything, you know, just communication. So talk about some of those things before they leave, you know, even during high school, you know, hey, when you go, you're going to feel like this, or you're going to assume that everybody, you know, X, Y, and Z, and that's really not the case. And so let's talk about, you know, and what you can do if you're in these situations or you're feeling this way, just to kind of give them the tools ahead of time and just just that open dialogue and communication um, before they go to talk about some of that stuff so they don't feel that way, you know, like, oh, everyone, maybe everyone isn't adjusting as, as great as they seem, you know, so I'll reach out to some people and, and maybe if they are able to communicate that with, um, you know, some friends they meet that they meet and things like that and they can find that they have that in common even right well yeah. i think one one thing that um it sounds like you're doing and we really recommend that parents do is you don't wait until that moment when you're dropping them off at the freshman dorm to to unload all these tips to them <laughs> you like start now <laughs> you, know, you you give them a big hug and you say okay you're going to be homesick but it's okay and did i tell you about washing lights separately from darts and, you know, <laughs> wash your hands and, you know, it's okay if you don't have a major. I mean, we kind of just like blurt it all out right at the end. It's really, um, it's good to think now while they're still in high mm. school, especially once, you know, you're in the spring of junior year, your teen is in the spring of junior year and college is sort of up to bat now for them. So it's becoming more real and thinking about not just the skills that they can learn on a YouTube video, which would be like how to do laundry. They're really good at that. But thinking about those, those other things, those, those essential life skills, things that they need to um, master really to be successful as living independently are important ones to begin to talk to your teen about. Well, now. Not, yeah, don't right. Wait don't wait. Don't wait. Off. Yeah, talk about now. No, kind of look wait. and think. Yeah, you can't blurt it all out then. It's too much. <laughs> It'll get them stressed exactly. anyway, for sure. So, well, Mary Dell, it's been wonderful um, talking with you. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, there were so many other um, parts of the book that we could talk about. We could go on and on. But how can people find the book, find you, you know, get involved with Grown and Flown? Um, many, many ways. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, the book is sold in independent bookstores. It can also be found on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. 
uh, .com, so it's sold everywhere. Um, to be part of our Facebook group, go to um, Grown and Flown Parents Facebook group. We have a page and we have a group. The page is public, and you, you know, we welcome people to look at all the content that we have on there. We share from other sources as well as Grown and Flown. But the group, you do have to, is, <laughs> it's not a retina I exam. know, I know. <laughs> it was do, easy. It was super easy. <laughs> uh, we do ask that people um, tell us how old their kids are. And we just want to make sure that these are real parents, yeah. uh, that they're not some somebody, you know, some 16-year-old boy in Nigeria, you know, uh, that really would have no interest in the conversation. So we're we're, we're very careful about who we let in. We also don't want our members to be sold to, you know, to be spam. So we do ask you, you know, how old your kid is. And, um, uh, you know, that's basically it. A couple other questions. But we would love for members to join our Facebook group. We think it's really, really um, kind of an, a great digital community and a place of, of real um, support and information. So we, we would love for people to join us. We also have a newsletter. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter and get um, our Grown and Flown articles delivered to your inbox. So we have any number of ways you can connect with us. We're on Instagram. We're on Pinterest. What, choose your yeah, right. whatever platform <laughs> Everywhere. You like That's good, though. We'll get, yes, I would, a lot of different ways, a lot of different avenues to get um, great content um, from Grown and Flown, from experts and fellow parents. So thank you so much, uh, Mary Del Harrington. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at NortheastOhioParent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at NortheastOhioParent.com.